0: Welcome to another episode of the Good Lion Podcast. I am Brian Higgins and I am Aaron Salvato. And today we are wrapping a bow on another season. You may not have known that this was a season or that we were finishing a season. Our seasons in podcasts like Spoons
1: in the Matrix. <laughs> It's been so long since I've seen that movie that I... Oh, the bending. (laughs) The bending of the spoons.
0: Well, more so the famous line is, there is no spoon, but like Uh. they're looking at a spoon. And I feel like we're looking at a season and really like, is there a season? Like We've bent (laughs) seasons in our minds and in the way that we've put them out pretty far over the last couple years.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's not like a Netflix show where... Each year is one season. We've kind of broken the seasons of this show up into different time periods of our life over the last few years, I guess, is how I would describe it. The thing about the way we've done seasons, though, is we've never actually really given ourselves a break. We've never actually taken time off. After doing a season, we've always uh, produced a bunch of work and then immediately started working and then just producing more stuff the, the next weeks and the next weeks. We We've had we've had little gaps here and there uh, weeks in between where nothing came out. But for the most part, we've had this mindset of a very steady mindset of work with this show.
0: Yeah. And we've definitely. I feel like there have been conversations between the two of us like off air where we have said we should slow down, we should take a break, we should pause for a little bit. And then we both agree, yes, that is a good thing. And then like four days later, one of us texts the other one with an idea and the other (laughs) one is like, yeah, we should do that. Like, let's just start the next season right now. And so it's been (laughs) kind of this, like you're saying, this steady flow of constantly trying to work constantly trying to produce which really all of this episode if you're looking for the the too long didn't listen version of this episode we won't save that all the way to the end for you we'll do that right now we are right. going to be taking a short break hmm. short simply means that it won't be like a year or it won't be like we don't have some kind of extended time period that we're looking to take a break for but we anticipate it being at
1: least six weeks. That's kind right. of me asking Aaron right now <laughs> yeah that that seems reasonable uh, something you know somewhere between one month and two months, I would say is what we're going for. The reality is we love this show, like we love it mm-hmm. so much. it's such a blessing for me for brian our our hearts are really pastoral like we, we want to love and serve and and shepherd people not just get on a mic and give people our opinions we want to help point people to Jesus and over the last few months i've just been getting messages from people that have been so encouraging to us just letting us know that that's what's happening like people are actually encouraged by the show and what we're what we're doing here and it's something that to me makes me actually realize the value in it and that it's actually worth us taking a break in order to sort of get filled back up so we can continue to pour back out to use some very classic Calvary Chapel pastor lingo.
0: I have definitely heard those analogies used before. <laughs> yep. Yeah, part of it is we have each learned over the last couple years the importance of rest in doing good ministry work. And and that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about throughout the rest of this episode. So if you're looking at the time left on this episode and you're like, what are they possibly going to talk about? Just the fact that they're taking a break? No, we're really going to be talking about why we believe rest matters, why we believe God wants healthy rhythms of work and rest In our lives, maybe we'll be able to bring up some thought patterns that you have about Christianity that maybe you haven't fully identified or wrestled with, or they're just kind of your underlying assumptions about how faithfulness to Jesus works that maybe you need to think through again. So that's what we'll be doing with the rest of this episode, and that's part of why we're taking this break. The other part of it is we have a lot of other things going on. In life, you know, we both have jobs that we're doing outside of this podcast. Uh, We both have pregnant wives.
1: We both have a lot of (laughs) congratulations, Brian.
0: (laughs) That was a subtle slip in, but it's both of us. It's not just me. Um, I think
1: I've mentioned it. I think I mentioned it on a previous episode recently. But yeah, Brian. Brian. I was about to say Brian is pregnant. Brian's wife, Tori, is pregnant, and we're all so happy. We
0: heard that Aaron and Brooklyn were pregnant and we just got really jealous. And, you know, our lives have mirrored each other so closely that we figured why
1: not this as well. I'm glad I could be a good influence on you, Brian. That's awesome, man. You're an inspiration. Why don't we get into the rest of the episode on rest?
0: If you're like me and you grew up in American church culture or even Western church culture. One of the things you've really focused on is what you need to do to be faithful to Jesus. Specifically for me growing up in America, I would always think about these classic American success stories. And each one of them really focused on growing, expanding, doing more, having larger reach. Think about local garage bands, how they develop this local following, but they continue to grow their fan base. And the dream is one day they'll leave the garage and they'll end up filling stadiums across the country.
1: Yeah, yeah. And things like Apple and Amazon, starting with only a few people in a garage. And then they grow into multi-billion dollar businesses that operate in every country. Even I think about the church
0: planting stories that I grew up on it was these small living room Bible studies that had this sweetness and joy about them, but they didn't stay there. They grew over time into mega churches and now they're reaching people worldwide. Mm-hmm. Each one of those stories, they share the same core message and they end up teaching the same core lesson. If what you're doing isn't growing, then what you're doing
1: maybe isn't succeeding. Mm, Yeah, and the idea is that growing in these scenarios means adding onto what you're doing and adding into the numbers of who you are influencing.
0: Yeah, in this pattern, free time is seen as a wasted opportunity. I would watch this play out in my own church experience. When I was younger, I served as both a worship leader and as a middle school Bible teacher. And it always seemed like between those two commitments, if there was a weekend that I wasn't teaching, then it meant that I had to be leading worship. And if there was a weekend where I wasn't leading worship, then it meant that I had to be teaching. Time off never really felt like an option because the main thing that I needed to do was be faithful to my calling. Hmm. And what this line of thinking led to was the feeling that God most wanted me to be faithful to my calling. If I was busy serving and using my gifts, that made God happy. But if I wasn't serving, or if I felt like I needed a weekend off, or I needed just a quick break, it felt like I was letting God down. I wasn't doing the thing he really wanted me to do.
1: Yeah, you know, Brian, that is a mentality that I myself have struggled with so much my entire life. Just this idea of like, man, if you're not doing something, who are you? If you're not producing something, who are you? You know, I think back to even being a kid and feeling left out, feeling like, I wasn't super popular, but I had a talent of making things. I made short films and little comedy sketches. And when I did those things, I felt like, oh, I matter. I matter now. And and there was this idea of like, you know, oh man, I gotta go to film school. I gotta, you know, pursue this because this is how I get that affirmation that I need. It's from producing things and it's from just striving to make things happen. and that's a lesson that God has had to break down in me so many times. And I just feel like what you're saying is so relatable for so many people in my time as a youth pastor and working with young adults. I talk to people all the time where this is that mentality. It's like, man, God has given me time. He's given me gifts. He's given me opportunities. If I am not just breaking my back, working hard, steadying, trying to achieve, trying to move forward, trying to do well in school trying to do well with all these other activities with my job with my career I really feel like this is a universal thing we all struggle with we all sense in us this pressure to make something great of ourselves and when we feel like we're not living up to that calling it, it often causes us to even hurry more because we start to stress out and it's like we see our own irrelevance coming towards us like the boulder in Indiana Jones. And it's like, I've just got to get away from it.
0: Yeah, I I think what you're describing is a really common feeling. You know, it's something that the two of us have wrestled with. It's something that I think without realizing it, we teach in churches without knowing that we're teaching it. You know, think about the general story that we present to someone. We present to them, you know, you've showed up to church for the first time. You don't know anything about Jesus. Well, hey, there's a real God. He made a good world, but we messed it up. You're broken. You're sinful. You need Jesus to save you. They look at that and they say, sure, I'm in for all of that. And then we say, great, now get plugged in. And what we generally mean by that is find some place where you can now produce for this community. And I'm not trying to be anti-serving. You know, I, I think that it's a really good thing for all of us to have avenues by which we're giving back to our church community. But if our only emphasis is we need to give back, then like you're saying, it'll become if I don't do this, then I don't matter. And I don't believe that's the way that God wants us thinking about our work or our service.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that for so many of us, we maybe it has something to do with the fact that at the time, a lot of us who grew up in the church, a lot of the people who listen to the show, you grew up in the church. That's your background. Perhaps it was because at the time that you were having your most formative years learning about God, you were also in school. Where it's this environment and pressure of do well, strive to achieve, work hard. If you don't get those grades, then you are a failure and you you have these horrible visions of what your future life is going to be and you're never going to amount to anything. Perhaps it's the conflation of that where it's like we're also learning about God. and We're learning he's just and he's merciful, but also he has this plan for us. He has stuff for us to do. He has a calling on our life. Like we all have this big calling on our life. And and I feel like maybe, maybe in our, at least in my mind, maybe I'm projecting, but in my mind, I know there were many times growing up where I felt like I wasn't living up to what my calling was. And even like in the last three years, especially after uh, leaving my role as a youth pastor, which is something I did feel called to in a very specific way where it just was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. But being out here sort of in the in the wilderness I, is, is what I call it. There's been many days where I, you know, wake up. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like, am I fulfilling my calling? Does that, does that resonate at all?
0: Absolutely. No, I, I think you're really on to something there. I, I think this drive to I have to produce or I'm nothing, I'm starting to see that that's way more cultural than it is biblical. Hmm. There's this really great John Mark Homer book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. We are going so to... So th- good. We're going to steal shamelessly from it for the rest of the episode. If you have a choice between finishing this episode or starting that book right now, we'll see you later. Go start that book. <laughs> like it, It's the first book in a long time. I think I may have said this on the show before, but it's the first book in a long time where when I read it, I didn't think to myself, oh, one or two of my friends might be interested in this. I thought to myself, literally everyone I know needs to read this book. So Mm -hmm. go do that.
1: Let's just talk about why this book is important and why I think it'll resonate with a lot of the people that listen to this show. So if you're like me and Brian, you grew up in church culture and in church culture, what do we have? We have mega pastors. Those are the people that we look up to. Those are the people that get asked to speak at conferences. Those are the people who did well. They went out, they had a dream, they had a vision. The story goes, they followed God's heart and call for their life. They were obedient and then God blessed what they did and he multiplied it and he grew it. And so I mean, Brian, would you agree that in the context of how we grew up, we, we as, as young guys in ministry, we looked up to those that had these big platforms and these big successes? Is that Are you with me on that? Yeah, I
0: think that that kind of church growth was very much one of those American success stories that we were mm-hmm. thinking about earlier of the little guy goes out there and doesn't just make a bit of an impact. He ends up building
1: an empire. Right. So for guys like us in the ministry, young guys in their 20s, pretty much everyone I know, whether they want to admit it or not, these thoughts are going through the back of their mind. Like, how is God going to use me? Is he going to use me in a big way? Do I have this potential? John Mark Comer is a guy who was on the cusp of that. He was leading this mega church. It was growing and multiplying, and he just got to the point where Things were going so well, but inside, like his soul was deteriorating from just the overwork and and the busyness and the culture that said, if you do not drive yourself to write more books and preach more sermons and do more things and build more programs, then you're nothing. And so a huge part of watching his story over the past 10 years has been seeing him rebel against that mentality and actually try to lead some of us back to a mentality that is more restful and more reliant on Christ and and willing to trust him instead of trying to strive to make things happen so that's just a quick commercial from me of why he is an author we respect a ton on this issue yeah he's really trying to pull us out
0: of the cultural movement towards the more you produce the more you matter we're starting to see just how cultural that really is and how that isn't biblical. One of the things that he says in that book about this is he says, busyness is now a sign of wealth. A century ago, the less you worked, the more status you had. And now it's flipped. The more you sit around and relax, the less status you have. The, The image that I go to first when I hear that quote is I think about Leslie and Ben from Parks and Rec. (laughs) Like, I think about the two of them, they start out as, like, this local politics power couple. And as their life goes along together, they end up growing in influence, getting bigger and better positions. And by the time you reach the end of the show, their lives have only grown more chaotic, more crazy more busy and yet as we're watching it we're supposed to see that chaos as a sign that they've made it (laughs) we're supposed to see it as wow they really are doing these big great things look at how much is going on in their life that has everything to do with what culture
1: dictates as valuable that has nothing to do with biblical thinking Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like I I can't even tell you how many times I've talked to guys in their sixties who are like, yeah, I don't want to retire. Like I'm going to work until I'm dead. Like, and it's this idea of like, I want more, like I want to achieve more. There's more for me to do. And it's an interesting thing he points out because yeah, I mean, think even past a century ago, think back to the days of Kings and Queens. It's like, if you were wealthy and successful what were you doing you were sitting around in the lap of luxury letting servants wait on you and if you were poor you were breaking your back for the king you know you were the one working hard and it's so interesting yeah to see work hard work now as this badge of honor and it's almost like there's this social pressure to work yourself to death and and but the the thing is it's like i feel like anytime i hear about somebody burning out it's never like a, oh man that's so rad that's so cool that he did that I feel like it's almost like everybody just kind of shakes their head and goes ah oh, that's terrible like ah uh. and it's like so there's this pressure to like work so 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 hard but then there's also this shame and burnout so it really it's like you can't win either way
0: yeah it's like when we see someone fall into burnout we all kind of look at them and go man I guess they couldn't handle it You know, like they, they couldn't handle the pressure. They weren't as tough or as strong as we thought instead of feeling like, man, they were pushing themselves beyond a reasonable limit.
1: Mm. Yeah. It's like this mentality of they should have worked both harder and smarter. And because they burned out, it's their own fault. It's their own failure. I I've, I've seen that mentality in ministry circles a ton, A lot of times in in ministry, because we have this mission to reach the world with the gospel, I've known many young guys who've worked at churches where the mentality of the leadership of the church was to just push them harder and harder and harder. And if they asked for time off or if they asked for a break or if they asked for rest, like I'm talking about guys who, you know, they're youth pastor friends of mine, you know, where they're doing a week's worth of basically working from eight in the morning till 11 o'clock at night for an entire week. And then as soon as they get home, their pastors are throwing them into tasks and duties. And it's like, Hey, can I, can I maybe get like a day or two to just kind of rest and be with my family? But it's this mentality of like, no, we're always on in ministry. We have to keep going. We have to keep pushing. And yeah, it leads to a lot of burnout from what I've seen. Yeah, and it comes from that
0: mentality of to be valuable in ministry, we need to do more ministry stuff. Mm. You know, I I think that one of the biggest things that I have learned over these last two years, you know, these last two years, I haven't served anywhere as a pastor. And it's really helped me see God loves me even when I don't pastor, Mm. He loves me even when I don't serve. And I'm not trying to push people away from serving overall. I I think that if I gave up on serving God or serving his people entirely, I would miss out on a lot of joy and a lot of blessing. But when I first hit a moment of, I guess my position won't be pastor, Hmm. intellectually, I knew that God didn't love me any less. But emotionally, I wasn't sure. And I, I think that maybe there's people that are listening to this where they're serving as worship leaders, they're serving as Bible teachers, they're serving by hosting home groups, like they're serving in a thousand different ways. And if there's any feeling of, but if I took a break from this, God might love me less, let us assure you, that's not at all how he thinks about your serving.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Absolutely, man. I man, I'm so glad we're having this conversation because this is something that I've been thinking of. It's been heavy on my heart for a while now. I've gone through the same struggle over and over again. And if I can just encourage both you and myself and anybody listening who's going through this, you know, your your calling is something that can't be taken away or changed by a vocational title. Like you are called to ministry that's been confirmed in your life and affirmed in your life. You're called to the role of a pastor. And even though you don't have that sign on your door anymore, like you are, you still are a pastor, man. Like you can't get away from that in the sense of it's a calling. You just have the choice of how you're going to step into it. And it, it doesn't look the way that it's always looked. And, you know, through this, through this podcast, you've been a pastor, like through this podcast, you have shepherd people, and helped people walk closer to Jesus in in other areas of your life and, and through other areas, like that Bible study that you led when you were working at the Bible College and just other things that we've talked about, like since you stepped out of your full-time ministry job, you're still in ministry. You're just doing it differently. And I'm not just saying this for anyone listening who maybe is like Brian and I, where you used to have the vocational title of pastor, but you maybe don't have that sign on your door anymore for whatever reason. I'm saying this for all Christians. Like we're all called into ministry. Every Christian is a missionary, but that doesn't go away after you've been on a missions trip for a month and then you come back to your house and your and your job and everything. Like this is something I'm excited about, man, because we have to realize that these callings don't come with the paychecks and the title and the position That stuff is nice. It's nice to have a feeling of this is my place. It's way more discordant to feel like I am called to ministry, but I don't understand my place and how I'm supposed to do it. But as long as like, from what I've seen, if you keep that mindset of I am this, like I am called to shepherd people, God's going to find a way for you to do it. And I think to add to this, one of the best things I could say is a quote from John Mark's book, The Ruthless and Elimination of Hurry. The quote is, one of the key tasks of our apprenticeship to Jesus is living into both our potential and our limitations. I feel like the last season of my life was all about leaning into that potential. This, this season for both of us has been really learning about how to grapple with the limitations and actually realize that limitations aren't a curse, but they can be a blessing from God.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree with that. I, I think one mindset shift that's been helpful for me is God gave us the limitations we have. You know, think about how limited humans are. We can really only operate well with a certain amount of sleep, with a certain amount of food, with a certain amount of water, with only a certain number of tasks and responsibilities on our plates. And I used to always think of limits as these obstacles that needed to be overcome instead of viewing them as safeguards God has given me so that I can be the kind of human he wants me to be. Where my thinking was always focused on activity I think that God really wants our focus on devotion within the limits that he set for us.
1: I love what you said about devotion, and that's another quote from the book. He says, attention is the beginning of devotion. And it's this idea of if we want to be devoted to Jesus, we have to first show him that attention. And that attention doesn't necessarily come through serving him outwardly, serving other people for him. It actually comes through serving him directly through prayer and through spending time with him, which is just in my ministry life, that has been my biggest struggle is to pause and take time to actually be devoted.
0: Yeah, and I think that's because we generally think of faithfulness as performing ministry activities. You know, I think about with my wife, I can easily show faithfulness to her by being fully attentive when she's talking to me, by putting my phone down, by really listening to what she's saying and considering it. If I do a thousand things for her, but never actually listen to her or never spend time with her, I can't call myself a faithful husband. You know, and, and that's where I'm trying to be at with Jesus now. I want to be faithful to him, not just to tasks I feel he's given me. I want to be faithful to hearing his voice, to being his friend and not just being a co-worker on his behalf. Both are needed. But when our culture has so ingrained in us work for Jesus, we need to really push back and focus on cultivating
1: live with Jesus. Hmm. That's so good, man. Yeah, and I've talked about it before. That that was the first lesson that God taught me when I moved out here, away from kind of my full-time ministry world. I read that book called With, and it was like, hey, some people live over God. Some people live under God. Some people live for God. That's the one I identified with. Like, oh, I've got to do things for God because he's called me to his purposes. But Sky pointed out like, no, you got to live with him. And man, it's just that is the lesson that Jesus continues to drive to me and in my mind is how can I serve him if I don't know him and I'm not saying I don't know him I, I I've known him for many years I, I've studied him and I spent time with him but like we can just coast off of fumes of stuff he told us years ago like we can just like remember something he did in the past and just try to make that happen again and Jesus is like no like today I want to talk to you Like today, I want to reach you. Like maybe it's time, instead of jumping into the next ministry project or idea, maybe it's time to take some time and just be with Jesus and actually find out if your next big idea is actually something he wants. (laughs) I'm kind of preaching to myself here. Another quote from John Mark's book that I thought was really good on this was, to walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our work it never advances it dude that's that's a heavy one for me to hear because i get into this mode where it's like if i don't hurry if i don't overwork myself like i'll just be honest I, yesterday i worked like a 14 hour day because and i'm not like bragging like i'm like it you know what i mean like is it that weird mindset that you of, even have to clarify that that's not bragging Right. Because I feel like people do brag about that. Like people are always talking about hustling and grinding. Like I'm just saying yesterday I, I taught this class. We're we're doing it through good lion. It's a, a class on the kingdom of God. I had about eight students with me and we were recording together and I had to prep for that before. So it's like, I just didn't rest yesterday. I just got up and worked and just kept going until the evening. And, and even today, like coming to this podcast, like I didn't, really do a lot of prep work for this. I kind of was rushing and working on other things. And I, I find myself rushing a lot because in my mind, it's like, if I don't hurry, I am not going to be able to advance the work I'm trying to do for Jesus. So I'm just saying that, that quote, and I'll read it one more time. To walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer. It's so accurate and only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances it, bro. Like, help me out here. <laughs> is, is this connecting at all or is it is this just me? So much more than you even know.
0: Yeah, as you bring up the idea of hurry destroying your ability to focus on stuff, I am very much a person who's driven by accomplishment. Hmm. And... I use this software called Todoist, which I highly recommend. It is an amazing software. It is basically a really fancy digital to-do list. And it helps me stay organized. It keeps me from feeling like I'm forgetting stuff. If you're like a nerd that really cares about productivity systems, you probably already know about it. And if you want to become a nerd that cares about productivity systems, that's a great place to start. Highly recommend Todoist. Basically, throughout a day, as you check off tasks, it tallies those tasks up for you. And you can set daily goals and you can earn these like little karma points as you knock off more tasks. I'm not advocating karma, but as stupid as it is, I really love getting those points. Like It just makes (laughs) me so happy on the stupidest level. I know it doesn't mean anything, but even (laughs) on their website, it talks about like gamifying your productivity. Like you give yourself this little proverbial carrot and you you chase it a little bit harder because you have some kind of goal at the end. What I'm finding this does for me is I just focus on completing tasks, not on completing any of them well. Hmm. So I might have two tasks right next to each other. One of them might be do the laundry, And the other might be read my Bible. Like I've started putting, I use a a yearly Bible calendar to try to like structure my Bible reading for the year. Not a surprise that I crave structure. It's very you. It's very you. Very me. But obviously those two tasks are of completely different levels of importance. But what I'll find is because I'm so focused on accomplishing enough tasks is that while I'm reading my Bible... I'm thinking about trying to get it done quicker so that mm. I can get on to the next task so that I can accomplish enough tasks for the day.
1: Yeah. I mean, isn't that just how you do it? Just how you live life? I'm, I'm right there with you, man. It's so the crazy thing is I'm looking at this quote uh, from John's book again, and he says, it's been proven by study after study. There is zero correlation between hurry and productivity. seriously, man. (laughs) He says, in fact, once you work a certain number of hours in a week, your productivity plummets. Want to know what the number is? 50 hours. Ironic. It's about a six day work week. One study found that there was zero difference in productivity between workers who logged 70 hours and those who logged 55. Could God be speaking to us even through our bodies? Oh, dude, it just, it hits me because I mean, I don't know. It's just like, I'm, I'm starting, I'm starting now that my kid's on the way to transition out of this mentality of like, I have to work 60 hours every week because coming out here, I mean, I came out here to Oklahoma. I had no job. I had no ministry opportunities. And so it was this combination of like, I got to make stuff happen. And we started the podcast network and, cgn hired me and I was freelancing and all this stuff and it's crazy because god is starting to he's it's crazy it's just crazy because like everything I've been working for is starting to kind of fall into place a little bit in the sense of like yeah like we're have we're we're finally having a kid there's ministry opportunities that are opening up through cgn even to do stuff long distance and but it's like if I have a week where I only work like 40 or 45 hours, I feel guilty. Like it's like, does that make sense? Like to, to feel yeah, guilty it, that you're not doing enough? I mean, I
0: relate to it, but it shouldn't make sense to us. You know, like I, yeah. I'm totally right there with you. I get really focused on have I done enough for the week? Have mm-hmm. I accomplished enough tasks? And what I find happens for me is as I keep trying to add things to my task list for a day or for a week or or a month or whatever, the more things I add to the plate, the less personal attention each of those things gets. Yeah. I find that when I'm focused on how many things can I do or even how many hours can I put into stuff, when my focus is on being productive, or my focus is on accomplishing more things, I'm not really focused on how well do I do this task? How focused am I? How much of my attention does this thing get? You know, when, when the thinking is all about I need to have tons of stuff done, I don't know, I'd rather do fewer tasks that matter than millions that don't.
1: Yeah. Well. I agree that like, I don't know. I feel like there there's a balance between like, there's going to be seasons of your life where you're involved in a project that is going to make you more busy than normal. And I feel like that's normal for everybody, whether you're a high school student, college student, adult, there's always going to be busy seasons. But I don't think that Jesus has called us to live in constant hurry and busyness. Like I do agree Another quote from the book. I'm just throwing these quotes out, but you know, John Mark says, "Hurry is a form of violence on the soul," and that can sound super hippy dippy to some people. But like, I think what he's getting at is like, yeah, like what does Jesus say? Like, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. He, he. he the, so the thing that I've realized is when you're constantly in a state of hurry, something in your life is gonna suffer. And for everyone, it's different. Like for me, thankfully, my marriage. Has always been good, even in times of busyness. Like my my wife and I just work really well together. It helps that I work from home, so she gets to see me. Like no matter what, like we can stop in the middle of the day and take a break and hang out for a minute. But my health, like <laughs> I've struggled with my weight my entire life, if I'm honest. And allowing myself to be too busy to take care of my health has definitely been a problem at times. And so that's something I'm looking at as like a guy who's going to be a father is like, do I want to be the unhealthy dad? No. Like, but that means I have to actually stop work at five or five thirty and go ride my bike or take a walk. You know what I mean? But there's, there's so many times where it's like, well, no, I'm just going to work till seven, you know, and then it doesn't happen. So same thing with our spiritual life, you know, it's like, if you don't make time for something, it won't happen. So that's, that's been a big thing that Jesus has been teaching me throughout the years is like, it's not a chore to spend time with him. It's a gift. It's an opportunity. And it's, it's something that it shouldn't be like, Oh, like I'm done with all my work. So now I can spend time with Jesus. It's like, no, like I can't do my work (laughs) well, unless I spend time with Jesus, especially in the, the line of work I'm in, you know?
0: Yeah. I, I think I want to slightly disagree with something that you said. Yeah. You said that if you are constantly operating in hurry, something will suffer. Hmm. I think if you're constantly operating in hurry, everything you do will suffer. Hmm. Like I, I think that when a person is overwhelmed by like a job that they have, it's not that they do seven of their tasks really well and then completely forget to do the eighth one it's generally that they do six pretty poorly. They start the seventh one and they totally forget that the eighth exists. Hmm. Like once you are operating from this state of you're overwhelmed by the sheer amount of stuff you feel compelled to do, you lose the ability to pay attention closely to any of those things. Hmm. You know, there's one quote from the book where John Mark says, some of the most sincere and honest people I know tell me that when they get into the presence of God, they just can't pay attention. And if we lose our capacity to pay attention to God for long or even short lengths of time, who knows who will become? You know, I think the real danger of this hurried, productivity focused mindset is that it kills our ability to focus on anything that's meaningful. We can only Mm -hmm. focus on these quick tasks that we can check off quickly. But Jesus doesn't ask us for task completion. He asks us for relationship. And that's Mm -hmm. gonna take uninterrupted time and undivided attention. Like Mm -hmm. if one of the things that I started doing after I first read this book, he talks a lot about how digital distractions Keep us from doing meaningful relationship work, either between ourselves and Jesus or ourselves and others. And one of the things that I found was as I started using my phone less, I didn't know how to focus. Hmm. Like I didn't know how to give something undivided attention without my phone interrupting me every three minutes, whether it was having some kind of notification flash that I would pay attention to or whether I just subconsciously grabbed for it. Like, if if you don't have your phone in your pocket, think about the number of times through the day you, like, instinctively reach for it, and then it's just not there. <laughs> and it's weird, yeah. you know? Like, it's hardwired into us.
1: It's called phantom I'd, phone pain.
0: Yeah, it's like, it's just hardwired at this point of we're used to, oh, I've focused on something for, like, 35 seconds. It's time for me to have a break and you know my my focus shouldn't be this uninterrupted like that's what hurry teaches us like that we shouldn't be focused on anything for long and if that's where we end up getting to we lose so much of our ability to relate with god and with others
1: Brian, one of the quotes from the book is In America, you can be a success as a pastor and a failure as an apprentice of Jesus. You can gain a church and lose your soul. I'm gonna I'm gonna put you just on the spot and ask you to be honest, I guess. And and you know, this is a question that easily could be asked to both of us, but I'm asking you because <laughs> I'm the one who came up with it. But let's say, like, you have these options, right, where it's like Option one is you can become a very successful pastor with a ton of achievements, a massive, massive church, book deals, video deals, all of this stuff. Like your influence is huge and like thousands of people are being reached. But the end result is you, you burn out and you crumble at the end of it. Or the alternative is you are a pastor who plants a church and and you rest and you have like healthy boundaries and rhythms in your life. And you have emotionally healthy spirituality, not just for you, but for your staff. And your church ends up reaching like maybe 300 people in its run. But at the end of the day, like at the end of your life, you you were able to preach the gospel well to that group of people. You influenced those people who then went out and influenced others like in your natural state, like which, which is more attractive, I guess.
0: If you had asked me this question a year ago, <laughs> I would have immediately said faithfulness with boundaries, hmm. but I wouldn't have actually meant it. Hmm. I would have said what I felt was the right answer of like, oh, well, clearly the one where, you know, I'm spiritually healthy while subtly thinking like, hey, even if you burn out at the end, like think of all the good you've done. Think of all the, you know, reach you've had. Like people can be blessed by your teaching and your reach. And, you know, that's something that can't be taken from you, even if you wind up really hurting a lot by the end of it. Like that's probably what I really would have been thinking. Yeah. Now, I'm in a place where one of the things that I really sense God impressing on my heart as my wife and I focus towards the idea of church planting in central New Jersey, one of the things I'm thinking a lot about is when you try to plant a church, you try to build something that will outlive you. Hmm. And if it's going to be something that outlives me, then I want its best days to be after I'm dead. Hmm. Hmm. I, don't want it, I don't want it to be that I leave or God calls me to something different or I end up just getting old and dying or whatever. Like, I don't want it to be once I'm gone from it, then the glory is gone because then that meant I was the glory of that church and not Jesus. Hmm. So I'm really trying to settle into the idea of I may never see the best days of any church I'm part of planting, and that's a good thing if that happens.
1: Hmm. That's really good, man. Yeah, the the picture that comes in my mind is like, like imagine if you spent your entire life trying to build this tower and you're just striving and and every day you're laying bricks and building and building and building and you get to the end of your life and the tower is like incomplete. And it's like, Oh man, like, ah, I gave everything to that tower and now I'm ruined. And then like somebody comes and like in one day just like puts a tower across the street and you're like, what on earth? And the person was like, yeah, I was trying to get your, I was trying to get a hold of you cause I wanted you to help me with this and we could have done it a lot faster together. And it's like, isn't that what we do so much in ministry? It's like we think of, I could reach so many people. I could have so much influence. It's it's all about I. It's if I just put in my work, my effort, my talents, my unique form of preaching that is so different from anybody else, which I'm ashamed to admit, like I've had, I've had these thoughts if, if I'm honest. Like I, it, it comes from people telling you. you like, yeah, like it's like, oh, like I'm good at this. Well, it, we're trying to build this tower and we spent our whole lives trying to build it. And in the end, it just comes to ruin. And, but Jesus is already building, like he is building and he is going to build what he's going to build. Like that story has already been written. So it's not like you have to personally save 5,000 people. It's Jesus is going to save 5,000 people. What part are you going to play in it? And even if the part that you play only impacts a hundred people, five thousand people are still getting saved. It doesn't matter, like how big your role was in it. It doesn't matter. Like that—that's the lesson I've been having to learn and tell myself. It doesn't flipping matter. <laughs> like all that matters is faithfulness. It's long obedience in the same direction. And at the end of the day, if Jesus is saving five thousand people, and I was involved in saving ten and my friend was involved in saving 400 we're all going to be standing next to each other in heaven rejoicing together about the people that got saved it's not you know what i mean like it it's just yeah. it's just do your do your best for the kingdom and trust god with it like don't you don't have to kill yourself for the ministry is what i'm trying to say
0: yeah and remember that no matter what part you play the thing you're ultimately building is god's kingdom you know i mm. i think about In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks to the people about how there were segments that all kind of had their favorite pastors. You know, there's that famous section where Paul is saying, some of you say, I'm a follower of Paul, and some of you say, I'm a follower of Apollos, and some of you say, I'm a follower of Peter, and like they all had their favorite teachers. And I've heard pastors share that passage a lot, and I've done it too, where I come at it from the standpoint of, see, followers, you shouldn't pick which one of us is your favorite. Like, you should be focused on the kingdom. And the thing that I'm honestly just realizing now that I've missed in that passage is that Paul, Apollos, and Peter were all perfectly united in ministry, even though they knew people were picking favorites. Hmm. They were not focused on, like, Paul didn't say, hey, if you've been like pulling for me, like, hey, good job. You're on the right team. Like he doesn't do any (laughs) of that. Like they were so actively fighting against don't be one of my followers. Be one of Jesus's followers, because even if Jesus calls me to build this tower, my name is not going on the top of it. It will not become part of my kingdom. We do so much subdividing of the kingdom like we talked about this in an episode about discipleship where we normally think of like, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I've been discipled by that pastor or I've been discipled by that leader or that influential figure as if now they have some sub kingdom within the larger kingdom of God. That's just not how it works.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's so good. And, and that, that, Perfectly fits in with this quote from John Mark's book. In the cruciform kingdom, only the bad things die image and status, bragging rights, and all vanity. And man, like that just, that's what it's about there. It's, 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 we should not be building platforms to ourselves. Like we should not, none of us should be trying to build a statue in our image, basically. Like we need to trust that Jesus' influence is big enough that if we don't make it about us, he's still going to use us exactly how he wants to use us. It, it should never be about us. It should never be our image. It should never be about us as an influencer and our influence. It, it should always be about Christ because the reality is like influence, it can it can grow in an instant and it can disappear in an instant. You know what I mean? Like the kingdoms we build for ourselves can crumble so easily, but the only kingdom that will last is the kingdom of Jesus. You know, like I I used to say this to my youth kids, but you know, it's so funny. The statues, statues are hilarious because people build statues thinking I will be remembered and I will be appreciated. And they put these statues up outside. And what happens? Like if you go anywhere and there's a statue, of somebody who is like older than a hundred years or for most people older than 50 years you're like I don't know who this person is like who is this statue and you don't take the time to read it you just walk by it's like oh that's a cool statue of a guy with a mustache and what happens like birds just sit on the statue and go to the bathroom on it like good on you for building a monument to yourself so like That's what happens to all of us. It's like, if if we make it about us, like ultimately it ends with us. But if if we're building the kingdom of Jesus, if it really is about him, then what we do, no matter how big or small it looks in the world's eyes, it lasts forever. That's good.
0: Now, as we've talked about the need to get out of hurry, I think we also need to talk about what we actually mean by rest. Because whenever I used to think about God's command in the Old Testament of Sabbath or of the idea of rest at all, I really just thought of it as taking a break. You know, my wife and I one time, we led a middle school retreat together and we came back and we were exhausted. And all we wanted to do is watch TV and not have to remind kids what time dinner was or answer schedule (laughs) questions or anything like that. So we got home, we unpacked a little bit, and I remember that night we discovered the first season of Stranger Things. (laughs) And over the next 24 hours, all we did was sleep, eat, and watch the entire season. That was it. And at the time, I remember thinking, man, I've got the Sabbath thing nailed. Like, I just don't do anything productive. I just let my brain and my body rest and I've got it. That rest is almost like spiritual laziness. Like that's what I thought it was. It was just, I get to be lazy, but I get to look at it and say, well, hey, God wants me to rest sometimes. And then my laziness is acceptable. <laughs> what I'm starting to see now is that rest isn't only about stopping, it's about shaping. You know, this even happens to us physically. When you go to sleep, your body doesn't just pause. Your body actively begins repairing itself. It makes helpful adaptations. It gets you back to the place where you're ready to go through another day. they say that with any form of working out, how you recover matters just as much as how you train. Because without the ability to let your body reset from the work that you've done, you won't come to your second session stronger, you'll just come to it still diminished from the first session. And mm. when we think about like the example of this podcast, as we're taking a break from this podcast, It's not us saying we've got some Netflix shows we need to catch up on. It's (laughs) not us saying we just need to pause and do nothing. The real hope that we have for taking this rest and the hope that we should all have for the rest that we incorporate into our normal rhythm is that it would be rest to be reshaped. Hmm. That we would come before God and say, okay, you see the work that I feel called to do you see the things that I'm putting my energy into, reshape me, Lord, so that I can do these things influenced and inspired by you, so that I can do these things more in line with your character and not out of this desire for if I don't
1: produce, I must be nothing. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah, for me us taking a break from the show. It's exactly what you said. It's not us just saying, Oh, time to kick back. It's, it's releasing, it's releasing ourselves from the self imposed tyranny <laughs> of constantly needing to produce. I don't know if he says in the book, but I've heard John Mark say it before in other places. Like we are human beings. We're not machines. Like we're not factory robots. I get in that mentality though. It. It has almost been a month since we released an episode at the time of this recording on Friday, August 20th. The last episode we put out was on July 27th and it's like, it's killing me. Like every day I wake up going, you idiot. you have not put out any episodes. And there's reasons for it. There's been stuff my wife and I have had to take care of with the pregnancy. There's been stuff with work. There's been errors and glitches with my editing program that I use when I edit the show that have been setbacks. You and I had a recording session recently that we thought was going to be really good and it, it ended up not being super usable. So it's like setbacks, like human setbacks, but like I have this self-imposed tyranny I put on myself where it's like, if you don't do what the expectations you put on yourself are to do, then you're, you're nothing. And so I think a part of resting is allowing yourself to be released from that and to tap back into the reality of like, you are not what you produce. You are who you are because of who Jesus says you are. And so I hope this is encouraging to anyone listening. If you're a creative if you're somebody that produces content, if you're, if you're a pastor, if you're a ministry worker, if you're someone who's writing sermons and, and producing things, you are not what you do. You are who Jesus says you are. When the Holy Spirit descended like a dove on Jesus, he said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And at the start of the gospel, when that line was said, Jesus hadn't really done anything significant outside of carpentry. So it is super important for us to remember to rest. And so I'm going into this season of, you know, possibly one or two months of the mentality that I, I'm going to, I'm going to learn. I'm going to spend time with Jesus. I'm going to press in. I'm going to listen to his heart. I'm going to be asking him like, what, what is your heart for this show? What do you want to do with us? What do you want to do in and through us? But I'm not going to be pushing myself to make those things happen. I'm going to I'm going to take time to rest and see what God would say about those things before I jump into them anymore.
0: Yeah, my big goal is remembering that work shapes me and hmm. overwork shapes me in a twisted fashion. Hmm. One of the phrases that John Mark brings up in his book is hurry sickness, and he defines it as a behavioral pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. I don't want to be producing this show out of the hurried thought that we just got to get another episode out. You know, we don't Mm. want to be doing anything out of the compulsion of, oh, we, we have to do this just because like it's on the schedule. It's something that needs to get done. When we rest, we allow Jesus to shape us differently. You know, when we work, he teaches us a lot about living life with him and the kinds of things that he wants to see happen. And we learn incredible lessons about his ability to empower us and the kind of justice he wants to create and the way that he loves us and uses us to love others. You know, we, we learn all of these incredible things. And when we rest in him, we are also reminded every time we do it that he doesn't need us. He's the God that runs the world. He's the God that will bring everything to its perfect end point. He doesn't need you to be the one that solves other people's problem, or he doesn't need you to be the one that solves the world's problem. He is the God that sees it all and will fix it all with the perfect solution in his perfect timing any time we get to work with him that's him simply letting us in on the family business not him needing us or the business will crumble
1: bro this has been a great conversation like it's been it's been good for my soul <laughs> it's been like very healthy very needed hopefully you guys listening to this uh, episode it's been like that for you. Our, our hope for this show has been very largely for it to be like you getting to sit in on two good friends, having a theological conversation and encouraging one another. And so we, we hope you've been encouraged. You know, Brian and I, like we were talking about earlier, we we may not have the job title of pastor in any of our vocational roles right now, but we do very much feel called to shepherd people. And we're so thankful that so many of you have faithfully tuned in just so many times. And, and and you you would consider us people that could speak into your life and help shepherd you and help lead you to Jesus and point you to Jesus. And so I just want you guys to know you're, you're not just an audience to us. We very much care about you. And we're so thankful for those of you that have reached out to us and, and told us how the show has been helpful to you. And so with that in mind, we don't normally do this, but Brian, do you think you could just pray for the listeners that, that the Lord would help them connect to this idea of rest and that the Holy Spirit would lead them in whatever way they need to be led when it comes to resting in Jesus?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Father, we thank you that you are the God that welcomes us not because of any good thing we do, but because of the good that you've accomplished for us. When we think about what it means to be saved, we look at it and all we contribute is sinfulness. All we contribute is brokenness, but you're the one that makes us right. And we thank you, Lord, that you have given us callings and giftings and opportunities to be used by you. But we pray that we wouldn't turn those good gifts you give us into the only things we focus on. I pray, Lord, that for any listening where they have replaced relationship with you, with being faithful to some calling you've given them, Lord, would you gently show them that? Would you remind them that you loved them even if they never picked up a guitar again, even if they never taught another message, even if they never hosted another small group, that you love them because you've made them in your image, because you find them valuable for who they are, not for what they produce. And Lord, I think the crazy ironic thing in this is as we take time to rest in you and remember the kind of relationship you want with us, it actually makes us more productive for you. It actually makes us more able to do the work that you've put in front of us. So We want to be faithful to you first and foremost. And as we do that, we know that you will empower us to be faithful to our callings. So we pray that you would help each of us learn healthier rhythms of work and rest, that we wouldn't use this conversation as an opportunity for laziness, but that we would use it to set priorities back in order so that we can see you clearly, love you fully, and do exactly what you're calling us to and none of what you're not calling us to. Mm. We love you, God. Go before this, this break time. Go before this next season of life for any of the listeners. Guide us into a deeper relationship with you. In Jesus' name we
1: pray. Amen. 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 All right. See you guys after the break.